When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Diana Hill in Santa Barbara, and I'm excited to talk today with a colleague and good friend of mine from graduate school, Dr. Yael Shanbrun. And we're going to explore the psychology of navigating this challenging puzzle of being a parent while also pursuing a meaningful career. Um, Dr. Shambran is a clinical psychologist in private practice and an assistant professor at Brown University. She specializes in the treatment of new parents and couples. She's also a mother to three boys. Her youngest is only six months old, little tiny thing. And uh, she's <laughs> written on the psychology of straddling ambitious professional um, careers and as well as engaged family life in the New York Times article, The Mother's Ambitions. She blogs for on the topic for psychology today, and her book on this topic is forthcoming. So, y'all, really welcome to Psychology. Thank you. It's good Thank to see you. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really long time since we've seen each other, and when we left oh, off, we were graduating <laughs> from uh, University of Colorado at Boulder. And a that lot was a happened. long time ago. Yeah, a lot has <laughs> happened in your life since then. Um, I'm really excited to hear about uh, some of your interest in this idea of what you call choosing both in terms of um, professional career as well as motherhood. And I'm wondering um, maybe if you could tell me a little bit about what that means, the idea of choosing both to you. Yeah, so, um, you know, when we exited graduate school, uh, I was definitely on a track to pursuing a very ambitious career in academia. I went to Brown University from Boulder and was on, you know, the tried and true academic path, writing grants and um, pursuing, you know, faculty status. And then, um, you know, I at the time that I was pursuing that ambitious track, I was also, you know, thinking that at some point I would have a family, I got married, but it never really occurred to me that when I became a parent that I would really struggle with the balance of my professional life and my parenting life. In fact, what I really thought was that I could really have it all, that I could have that ambitious life and really take advantage of all my resources, a solid marriage and a flexible career that I was really in love with. And and still be an engaged parent. And in fact, 
all the people in academia that I saw that I really looked up to who were, you know, a few years ahead of me in their career trajectories as well as in their personal lives seemed to be managing it just fine. They seemed like they were um, really productive in their professional lives and that they were wonderful parents. So I just figured that's what I would do too. Mm -hmm. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that I would really struggle once I became a parent. And then lo and behold, (laughs) my insight was poor. And I discovered after I had my first child that it was really painful, like surprisingly painful for me to return to the professional career that I'd had before. And I remember just, you know, driving into work every day and crying that I I didn't want to be apart from my child. And it, it wasn't because I had unsupportive colleagues or a job that I didn't love. It was just really a struggle for me and and a really surprising struggle about how hard it was for me to be apart. And so at that time, I sort of faced, you know, this huge question of, you know, what was I going to do? I'd always thought of myself as an ambitious professional and somebody who wanted to be a mother and, and who had expected to be a mother in a particular way. And what I found was the way that I was set up to become a mother at that point wasn't engaged enough for me. It wasn't sort of the way that was comfortable for me to parent. And so I made a really difficult decision to really dial back my academic career. And it was a really interesting process and it's continued to be a really interesting process because the academic career that I had really been a part of isn't really well suited to people who are dialed back. It's, mm-hmm. I, I work in a medical school setting. It's very competitive. We're pursuing um, government funding. Um, you're constantly expected to be producing scientific manuscripts and new studies, and you're competing with colleagues, you know, internally and externally. And, you know, it's the best and the brightest, and they're all working their tails off. So to be dialed back in that kind of a career is really unusual. And so I ended up you know, really struggling with what it meant to be somebody who was really getting lapped by all of my colleagues who, you know, up until that point, I'd I'd been managing mostly to keep up with. And then at the same time, feeling like, you know, I I was sort of a part-time stay-at-home mother. And yet the other more traditional stay-at-home mothers that I was surrounded by when I was in my mothering role were doing it very differently than I was too, because they weren't trying to also keep a foot in an ambitious professional life. And so I started asking all these questions of myself about, you know, what it was that I wanted, what, what did it mean to be ambitious and dialed back? What did it mean to be an engaged parent, but not a stay at home parent? And, you know, how did I want to do that? And how could I find happiness and some sort of balance that worked for me, given what I was trying to do? And that's really what um, led me to writing this essay that I randomly submitted to the New York Times and that very surprisingly became published. And then when when that got published, I was just flooded with emails from parents, largely moms, but also a bunch of fathers who really uh, felt that that message resonated with mm-hmm. them, that they were also really ambitious professionals who wanted to be engaged parents and were sort of finding this um, straddling that they were doing of being partly in this really ambitious professional life and very much as engaged parents, that that was something that wasn't being talked about very much. And um, that, you know, that was something that really should be talked about more because there are so many of us who are trying to do that. And yet we all feel like we're alone because Mm -hmm. um, what is mostly talked about is 
the lean in philosophy or the opt out philosophy. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's talked about a lot is sort of the conflict between work and family, as opposed to, you know, finding a way to choose both in a manner that really does work for for you, for Mm -hmm. us. And I think one of the challenges of these ambitious parents that have careers is that that same ambition maps onto how they often approach parenthood, <laughs> right? So exactly. if, you're, if you tend to excel and go and do the research and, and be really productive in your career, oftentimes these same parents have the same expectations for themselves as parents. So you're making your own baby food and researching BPA products and, you know, what's the best parenting approach with you know, wooden blocks. And so it's really hard to have that level of desire to to have a sense of doing your best in both worlds and then maybe not meeting either of those standards is what I, what I heard from you and feeling lapped, lapped by the stay at home moms and lapped by the professionals as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that what exactly what you're saying, this idea of what it means to be good at a particular endeavor that we partake in, whether it's professional life or stay at home parenthood. And we have this emphasis in our society on good means being excellent, right? right. Um, I don't know if you read that book by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, mm-hmm. but he talks a lot about the research and what it takes to be a success. But success in those terms is really one definition of success. But that kind of success, the success of being excellent, really requires all-in effort. So Malcolm Gladwell has this 10,000-hour rule, um, which wasn't uh, originally uh, identified by him. I can't remember the researcher that generated that idea, but, um, he talks about sort of how much time and effort it takes to become excellent at, um, a profession or a skill or an art. And I think what, as you're noting, the people who are really ambitious tend to pursue excellence, you know, whether it is in their professional life or in their parent parenting life. Mm -hmm. And so if you do sort of take the approach of choosing both, what then, you know, this big question of what then does that mean for how you're going to define your success? Mm -hmm. Are you going to still define it as excellence? And if so, how are you going to do that? Because excellence really does require all in effort as it's defined traditionally. Mm -hmm. And so the question then becomes, can you redefine what it means to be successful if you do choose to partake in those two different kinds of worlds? parenting and professional life. Mm -hmm. And I often, I mean, I think that excellence in parenting isn't, is kind of a misnomer, right? Like that really excellence in parenting is just being with your kids, right? Being present, being a present parent is excellent. So all that striving that we're doing and making, you know, baby food, if your child is screaming at you on the floor and you're not being present with them, it's sort of lost. But I, um, so I'm curious, I'm sure you've gone into some of the research and background and sort of how psychology has approached this dilemma. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, about that in terms of psychology's uh, thoughts on the work-family balance. Yeah. So, I mean, one of, one of the not terribly surprising things is that the idea of, you know, the meaning of work and the meaning of family is something that's been explored for many, many years by psychologists. I mean, Freud in his time wrote, love and work are the cornerstones of our humanness. So, you know, he was early on identifying that both of these areas really contribute to who we are as, as human beings. And 
you know, humanness is defined by another prominent psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl. Um, and, and I love this quote. He writes, man is originally man or woman, but <laughs> he writes, man is originally characterized by his search for meaning rather than his search for himself. The more he forgets himself, giving himself to a cause or another person, the more human he is. And the more he is immersed and absorbed in something or someone other than himself, the more he really becomes himself. And so I think in, in that quote, he's really saying that by pursuing meaning, both through our achievements as well as through our connections with other people, the more human we become, the more fulfilled we can be. And that observation really bears out in modern research. In fact, positive psychology, which looks really at how people find happiness, how they make fulfilling, happy lives, has really identified that the search for meaning is what provides stable life satisfaction. And that's sort of in contrast to like the pursuit of pleasure or happiness, mm -hmm. you know, the pleasure, the more immediate gratification that we're often oriented to. Um, but meaning is usually pursued through deep relationships. So there's a lot of research showing that the connections that we make to others um, are what make for a meaningful life. But there's also a lot of research demonstrating that skillful contributions outside of our connections to others also fulfill us and make our lives meaningful. So it really is the case that both connecting in to important relationships like those with our children fulfill us and that making contributions and having achievements in the outside world, outside of the privacy of our own homes can also fulfill us very deeply. And so, you know, there's, there's sort of the positive psychology research that's been conducted. And then there's also a lot of research on, um, this idea of work family conflict. So, mm -hmm. um, for the most part, our public conversation is really focused on this idea of work family conflict. Mm -hmm. And that sort of comes from the, the idea, the stress theory that role, these roles are incompatible or conflictual and they compete for scarce resources like our time, our energy and our attention. Um, but there's another body of research that's a lot newer, kind of similar to positive psychology. I think it really came out of the positive psychology movement that shows the opposite, that work and family can have an enriching relationship. And to be honest, I didn't actually even know about this body of research until I started doing the work of preparing to write this book. And I was just astonished that this whole body of research existed and that I've never heard of it because mm -hmm. I, I read a lot of um, both the scientific articles, but also the um, uh, sort of, you know, popular um, press kinds of articles about parenting and work life. And you see very little about this idea of work family enrichment, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of scientific support for its existence. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've, have you heard much about it? I haven't heard much about it, but I feel it. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. I remember when my, when my second was pretty little, the feeling of walking to my, down to my office and sitting in my really clean office <laughs> yep. that no child that was, was allowed in <laughs> and it was really quiet and then being able to speak with these adults in this intelligent way and be like be thought of as more than me as mom is sort of this other aspect of me and I would leave that refreshed and revived as much as mm -hmm. it was so hard to leave and so hard 
to get dressed and leave without jam on my nice shirt. But it, it was, <laughs> and it continues to be very enriching for me to have, to have that, um, that work. And I think also, I mean, just the nature of being a psychologist is that there's so much overlap between what I'm doing in my work and then what I'm practicing in my own life. So it really feeds into itself when I'm working with parents on parenting skills or couples and relating to each other. I'm, feel like I'm hopefully integrating that into my own relationships at home. And so it, it, can, it is very, it is very enriching. And for me, I guess maybe a little more, a little bit more integrated. Um, but I, I, I feel that both exist. There is the conflict and there is the enrichment and it's finding sort of the, I guess maybe the balance of those of when is the conflict too high? And often that's maybe I'm putting in too many hours. I have too many clients. I'm not, there was a while, a while where I was working on Saturdays. I worked on Saturdays for a number of years um, because it worked with little with babies because my partner would take Your the baby on Saturday. Home. Yeah. yeah. And then it started being that I was missing every single soccer game and every single basketball game. And I remember my, my boy saying, Mom, are you going to make it to a basketball game this season? And Aww. that was it. The next session I went in I told I'm no longer on Saturdays and and it works so that is also a real privilege to be able to have flexibility as a parent and I I was actually curious about that too because you've written about both the privilege of having a flexible um, work schedule but also the the challenges of that because it is there are challenges that come up in being too flexible (laughs) there are there definitely are And this is another wonderful book that I highly recommend. Um, It's called The Paradox of Choice, and it's by psychologist Barry Schwartz. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how, you know, for the most part, we think of choice as a good. Like, if there's more choice, that's better. And Mm -hmm. more and more choice is is still better and better. When the reality is that ultimately more choice has diminishing returns, and it can actually be a real negative. And through the research that he and other um, psychologists and researchers have conducted, they find that there really is a paradox in this idea of choice, that more choice actually leads to less satisfaction. And he's done some really interesting studies looking at more like laboratory studies, um, where if you offer, I think it's like, you know, think six options Mm -hmm. is like, okay, like between six options, people usually feel like they can make a good choice and can feel satisfied at the end of it. But when you increase beyond six choices and and far beyond six choices, what ends up happening is that people end up being far less satisfied with Mm -hmm. whatever choice they ultimately make. And the idea there is that with more choice, um, that we our, our expectations just skyrocket. Mm-hmm. We think that with more choice, our outcomes really should be awesome. We and and I think that the way that I apply that to this idea of working parents being able to have it all, and and working parents especially that have a lot of flexibility. You know, we think, oh, we're so privileged, and and in fact, we really are. I mean, I, I, I'm not actually meaning to suggest anything to the opposite side of that. We really are privileged. But at the same time, when we have this idea that we can have it all and, and that in any given moment we should make a choice and that that choice should allow us to maximize all of these um, things that really matter to us, the way that we parent and the way that we pursue our professional ambitions, that we really make the outcome impossible to have. Right. Because regardless of what we choose, we're giving up on something. So it, it doesn't really 
ultimately matter how much choice we have because we're always going to be choosing away from things that matter to us. And so rather than thinking about it as um, we have all the choice in the world and how can we maximize our outcomes, it's more useful to say, you know, we're always going to have to make difficult choices and we're always going to have have opportunity costs and we're always going to have to give up on things. So if I choose to, uh, the example that you gave is a wonderful one. So you chose to work on Saturdays because it allowed your children to be with a parent and probably you saved on childcare costs and then you were able to really be present during the week when your spouse might have been working his traditional hours. But you gave up on those wonderful Saturday family moments, and that was something that that might have been really difficult to give up. Now, if you had entered into that choice thinking, okay, I'm, I'm choosing this for reasons, but I'm also really aware that I'm giving it up, that might have been a different process than as – I did when I chose those Saturday hours thinking, okay, now I can really get to have it all. I won't, I won't really miss out on anything because I'm going to get to have all of my mom time and then I won't really give up uh, on, on too much because I'll just, you know, insert the hours, but, but, but you do give up on mm-hmm. something. And so I think that the, the solutions to sort of mitigating the problems that come up with the, the, having too much choice is really working with your own expectations and acknowledging that choices really come with opportunity costs, regardless of what, what the choices are. You're always going to be giving up on something and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just sort of being able to realistically assess your options. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, I think for me, the way that I manage that is by putting some arbitrary boundaries around things (laughs) because my schedule is so flexible with the flexibility comes, comes a cost. And and it's hard, it's so hard to make those decisions. So I've had to really put in boundaries for myself around these are the hours that I work or these are the hours that I check my emails and, uh, you know, things like that so that that you can have that separation. But um, you're right that with too many choices, with too much flexibility, it can become overwhelming. And there's always that, you know, what if thinking about what you're missing out on. Right. And I, and I wrote about that in one of the psychology today articles that I posted a little while ago, but I, I just find myself constantly, like I I could always theoretically cancel a client and show up for, um, like a school play Mm -hmm. or, um, a class reading, um, party, which they always have in the middle of the day, or, you know, I could organize my schedule around volunteering at the library, but it, it becomes this thing where, you know, I could always be there. So I always feel like I should be there right, exactly. and that I'm dropping the ball when I'm not being there. But you feel that way either way, because I also have um, financial needs. I, I do need to see patients, you know, to make a contribution to my family income, but I also have a responsibility to my clients. So I don't want to drop the ball on them. And I also really enjoy my work. So I don't right. want to drop the ball on myself. So, you know, it, it's sort of, a challenge to say I'm so flexible and I really can make the kind of choices that work best for me, except that it ends up being a burden that you carry. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's a privileged burden, but it's still a challenge to sort of figure out how, how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the, I like how you say drop the ball on yourself, because I think that's one thing that often also gets lost. Is it in this conflict or people are describing as conflict between work life, family and career there's also this whole other aspect, which is your relationship with you and where that fits into the whole picture and how that also is part of enrichment, right? So Absolutely. being able to, you know, for me, when I take care of myself and I 
go to a yoga class or I do things that are for myself. It enriches my clinical work and it also enriches my calm mom uh, at home, which is so much better for everyone. And, and that's, I feel like that's often the one that gets lost first. And then we're navigating just the other two. Um, Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that's such an important point. And I think that piece really gets lost in the public conversation about work and family. It's not just the roles that we have within our companies or within society, professionally speaking. And it's not just the needs that we fulfill for our kids and for our partners in terms of raising, you know, healthy, happy children that are going to be, you know, good contributors to the world when they grow up. It's really about, you know, finding a meaning, meaningful and happy place in life for ourselves. And I think that psychological and, I mean, if you want to call it spiritual aspect really gets lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, those of us who love parenting, and I think most parents would say they love at least some parts of parenting, and most of us who love work, and, and most people find some meaning in work, you know, even if it's just a satisfaction in bringing home a paycheck, regardless of what size it is, that there can be satisfaction and meaning to be found in it. And and that enriches who we are and the meaning that we find in living. And it isn't just about the external needs that we fulfill. It's really about enriching ourselves as human beings. And I mean, as you know, that is ultimately good for the roles that we partake in as well. But it's sort of in and of itself important. Um, Certainly as psychologists, you know, that's something that we're always helping our patients pursue is satisfaction and meaning Mm -hmm. in their own lives. So how would you navigate that with some of the couples or new parents that you're working with in terms of incorporating some of the evidence-based, you know, understanding of meaning and how it, how it influences our well-being into actual clinical work? Like what would you be doing with couples or with, with new parents around that? Yeah. So I was um, so excited to discover, because I, I think you and I have just really lost track of each other a little bit um, since grad school, that yeah. we've both become ACT therapists, yes. which is so cool. So for those of you who are listening, um, ACT therapy is acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's this super wonderful, just uh, life-changing approach. Um, it's a scientifically informed treatment that really focuses on helping people become more mindful and clear about their values in various domains, including work and family, and then helping them to work to select behaviors that are really in line with their values. And so I I use an ACT-informed framework to help new parents and couples to figure out, you know, what what is going to work for them. And what I love about this approach is that it's really flexible. You know, certainly you and I, being mm-hmm. psychologists, have a very unique set of circumstances. I mean, our, our jobs really are flexible. Although my husband likes to say it's the most inflexible, flexible job. Because once you set your hours, you really do have to be there. Yeah, and sometimes those hours are on an evening or on a weekend. <laughs> and and when my kids get sick, it's, it's a real disaster. Um, but... You know, some people like lawyers or doctors or, um, you know, people who work in retail have really different kinds of schedules and, and need to sort of adjust. And what what I love about ACT is that it sort of takes the reality that you live in and then says, OK, given your reality, given your constraints, what are your values? How can you implement the things that are important to you and prioritize them? in the life that you have? Mm -hmm. And then how can you become more mindful and select the kinds of behaviors that work 
for your particular constraints. So, for example, let me, um, you know, just say, you know, I see actually, I don't exactly know why, but I have a lot of lawyers that I see in my practices in, in my psychology practice, young lawyers who are also parents. And for them, they have this requirement of making their billable hours. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a very, they have uh, a much greater requirement of number of hours that they need to be available to um, their clients and to be sort of in the office than, uh, than I do, for example. And yet they also still want to be engaged as parents. And so what we talk about is, you know, given the type of work life that you lead, you know, how important, so I might help them to sort of explore, like, is it more important to stay in this uh, corporate kind of law firm that requires these intense hours, but provides you with enough income to really enjoy the time off that you have? Or does it make sense to pursue a different kind of career trajectory where you're in-house and have more constrained hours? And through those kind of conversations, people can sometimes make different long-term career plans than they originally had. But in the meantime, they can also use mindfulness skills to help themselves be more effective in the type of setup that they have in the more immediate future. So, for example, they can be more they can learn to be more efficient um, in doing their work tasks and then they can learn to be more present when they're home with their kids. And, it, you know, it kind of harkens back to what you said in the very beginning of our conversation where, you know, what does it mean to be an excellent parent is usually to be really present and engaged with your children. And so it's often the case for working parents that we get distracted. And when we know that we have a lot more things that we need to accomplish, uh, after our kids go to bed, sometimes it's really hard to be present for their bedtime, but then we feel like we're missing out both that we're not accomplishing something for our professional life, but that we're not really engaging with our children. And so ACT teaches a lot of really useful mindfulness skills to help uh, individuals be more present in whatever it is that they're doing and learn to tolerate sort of the anxiety of like, oh, I'm not getting something done and be able to set that aside so that they can do the thing that they're really valuing in that moment. Right. And I, I think that last part's really important in terms of being open to and willing to experience discomfort as you're pursuing your values, right? Absolutely. Because if you get clear on, okay, this is the direction that I want to be moving in my life, and maybe that direction is I want to have more time in the afternoons, fully present, engaged with my children, then all those distressing thoughts will come up around work things or emails or bings or pings that, that will pull you out of that. And so how to be able to really open up and allow for, for that to happen, but keep sort of, I guess, the sort of Marshall Linehan eye on the prize. Keep your, you know, keep your focus on this is what's important to me. This is my chosen value right now. And sometimes I think of it as like a Rubik's Cube that, so, you know, our values may be around values in parenting or values in work or values in self-care. And at some point in time, the, the top that we'll be focusing on one of them. It doesn't mean the other ones aren't there, but our attention and, and mindfulness and, and present awareness is on the top of that Rubik's Cube. And so we're just working on that side right now. It's not that the other sides aren't present, but when thoughts of the other sides come in, like, oh, I got to go work on the other side, it's going to actually pull us away from being present in, in the value that we're pursuing. So, yeah. 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 Absolutely. One other thing that just um, popped into my head that I think is also an important point to note is that 
you know, one of the things that I personally struggled with in terms of, you know, learning to be comfortable sitting with the discomfort is my own ambition, right? Because when I chose to dial my professional life back so that I could be more available as a parent, what that meant was I wasn't fulfilling my ambitious drive. Mm-hmm. Now, my ambitious drive has not gone away. I, I, that's just a part of who I am. Sometimes yeah. I wish it would go away, but no amount of wishing makes it so. Um, and so what I what I continue to work on, I mean, this isn't sort of a struggle that's over and done with. This is something that I struggle with, I, hopefully not on a daily basis, but certainly on a weekly basis when I sort of you know take stock of what I've accomplished in the week and, and sort of think about what I want to be doing going forward is saying, you know, I have decided that right now my value is to be engaged as a parent and as a professional. And that's sort of the way that I've set myself up means that I can't prioritize my value of pursuing things in this more ambitious all-in way. Mm -hmm. And so I am constantly having to mindfully check myself and say, you know, I, I have that ambitious drive. It is uncomfortable for me to say, you know, I'm not putting all in effort into these things that really matter to me and where I can see other people are putting that kind of effort in and doing fabulous, amazing, impressive things that I just think are so cool. Um, But I, but I'm making a choice not to do that. And I constantly have to sort of remind myself, like, this is your choice and, and you chose it because you value it, but that doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable for me on a daily or weekly basis. Um, And, and so I'm, I I, I sort of apply those skills myself Mm -hmm. all the time. Right. And I think the perspective taking or self is context taking component of act is very helpful in being able to step back and look at these values. So one of the things that I sometimes think about is I oftentimes have clients talking about their parents, right? Of course, like that's what they talk about, how their parents have influenced them. And I think about, well, gosh, when my child, not if, but when my child is in therapy. <laughs> when they write their memoir me. detailing about all what? the ways that the psychologist's yeah. parent messed them up. <laughs> yeah. What would I want them to be saying about their mother? Like, would I want them to be saying things like, she was really always busy cleaning the floor, you know, or yelling at us for t- to take our shoes off, or that she, gosh, she came, she came to that basketball, those last two basketball games, she changed her schedule and made it, and that meant yeah. a lot. And so I, I think about that, and then I also think about my therapy clients, so that would be my, my parenting value, like what would I want my children to think about me? or say about me. And then in my, my work, I think about what would I want my clients to tell their friends about their therapist? Because you also hear people say, well, my therapist says, right? Yeah. <laughs> my therapist who's like all knowing, right? But doesn't know anything says, and <laughs> don't tell them, don't tell, <laughs> but what would I want them to be saying about me? And, and would I want them to be saying, oh, wow, she read a lot of books or would I want them to be saying, wow, she can sit and listen. She can be really present with me and I feel like she hears me and she sees me. And so those are, that's sort of unearthed for me. What are, what are my values in my work life and what are my values in my parenting? And, and those can be a bit more of a guide as opposed to these shoulds that are these externally dictated, you know, what someone else thinks about what a good parent is because it's different and values are really personal and chosen and everyone's values are a little bit different. So figuring that out for ourselves um, it is, is part of that, that process in doing act therapy or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think that the, the part about it being so personal is just so critical because I, I do think, you know, 
anybody living in the modern world, but certainly people who are ambitious, we have a hard time not comparing ourselves to our peers, to our colleagues, to other parents. And, you know, when when we get caught up in that, we constantly feel like we're falling short. But if we can sort of recenter ourselves on, you know, what do I value? How do I want to orient myself to engaging in the things that matter to me? That can really release you from these unattainable um, standards that really are unattainable for everybody, but we sort of do these unrealistic comparisons because we don't know really what other people are balancing or how they're orienting themselves or, or what their what their opportunity costs are. So by you know, checking in and saying, you know, what are my values and, and sort of how do I want to organize my life given my own constraints, that can really allow you to set yourself up to, to have your most fulfilling life that is unrelated to what would work for somebody else because you are different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are some strategies or ways that you've, that you've kind of come about practicing this in your, in your own life? And it sounds like you came, you know, became a new parent, you had this ambitious <laughs> career, you became a new parent. What have you kind of figured out for yourself around your values and, and what are some of your hacks around work-life balance? Yeah. So I think uh, I've gotten more comfortable with being a little bit less, um, productive than I used to be. And that is something that took some time. Um, I definitely, you know, work a lot on being mindful and not getting caught up in thinking about what I'm not getting done when Mm -hmm. I'm with my kids. It's sometimes hard. You know, what's, what's also interesting is, um, in dialing back, I sort of started a a new career, which is private practice. And then after I did the New York Times article, mm-hmm. I started a third career. So I, yeah. I sort of have three careers that I feel like I fall far, very, very short on, as well as, you know, we all feel like we're falling short as parents. So mm-hmm. I, I try hard to just be wherever I'm at. These are all things that I love to do. So I, I, I'm constantly reminding myself, you know, now I'm with the kids, you know, when they're doing a rest time, I can try to get some writing done or some of the other kinds of uh, tasks that are relevant to my research career or billing for my private practice. Um, but I try to, to be as mindful as I can. And just on a practical level, you know, one of the things that makes it a tiny bit easier is making use of naps and rest times. Even my seven-year-old knows that on the weekends he has to do a rest time and that's good just to kind of have some quiet time, but it's also good for me to sort of at least get a couple of small things done that, um, are nibbling away, um, at the corners of my mind when I'm trying to be in family mode. Um, and then I also try to be really clear with myself about what the opportunity costs are. Um, you know, I love being a parent and so that often is an easy reminder for me. You know, if I really think if I were to choose to sort of go back in full throttle into my professional career, the kinds of things that I'd be giving up. And I just remind myself, you know, what, where, where are my values and what matters more to me to choose towards and choose, um, away from. Mm -hmm. And I, um, have to really sort of mull that over a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I mean, what what are the ways that you sort of make it work? Yeah. Well, I think um, I think like you, I've been really influenced and changed personally by ACT, and it 
it continues to shift the way that I approach life on a yeah. just on a regular basis. I feel like I'm getting more and more attuned and aligned with what I want in my life, what I want my life to look like. And so one of the things that I have found really um, helpful more recently is doing this concept called stacking your life, which comes from Katie Bowman, which is being, it kind of goes back to, you know, we didn't, I think when evolutionarily, it wasn't that we were ever really separated from our kids, right? Early on, you would just be doing your work and then your children would be doing their play next to you. And so I integrate more of that into my life now where I'll be doing things like when I'm um, reading stories to my kids at night, I'll be doing legs up the wall or doing some kind of yoga stretch. <laughs> so we're all on the floor <laughs> in some odd like figure four <laughs> yoga position while we're reading. That is so cute. <laughs> and if that's, if something, that's something that's important to me is doing more stretching and caring more for this, this body. And so how can I incorporate that into a time where I'm not driving to a yoga class and away from my kids? Because I, it's kind of really hard to leave for an hour. Maybe I can do that once a week, but in other times, be with my kids, but engaged in this way. Um, or something else that um, well, I, I did is um, we hung a pull-up bar, like a swing trapeze with rings in our in our playroom, so that I can. I really want to do a pull-up by 2018. This is my goal. And so, <laughs> so we can be, so I can be in there. Resolution. <laughs> yeah, so I can be in there moving, and they're playing, and we're doing it. And we're exercise. I exercise in the morning at home, so we can be doing that together. And so it's it. So it's all sort of a little bit more integrated. So that's one um, values kind of stacking your life, have it be more integrated. Um, and then another thing that's been really important to me is finding a tribe. And for me, that's been finding a tribe of mothers, but also mother psychologists people that are in the same struggle. And that's actually how this podcast was born. So I was on a, um, oh, really? mm-hmm. oh, I was cool. on a retreat at a, where I was at a spa with some, Ooh, some, of our, nice. <laughs> some of our psychologist friends and we were all talking and so, and one of them said, what if we did a podcast? Because this is all, we're all talking about psychological research, but also how we're applying it in our lives. Wouldn't people kind of want to hear about this? And that's how we generated this. And now, so I stay in touch with these women. We meet a couple of times a year and have retreats, but we also stay connected in between. And how to find, I guess, other people that are facing the same challenges so that I'm not alone in it and that it gets more yeah. normalized and it's more messy. And, um, and it's not about like seeing that person out there that has it all put together and comparing myself to them, but more about we're supporting each other because I think we live yeah. in much more isolation and I think Absolutely. part of mothering is that we need other women around us. And we, really we need do. just that. There was a, when my second was very little, um, I did a, a dinner exchange with another woman where once a week I would cook dinner for my family and her family. She was like a neighbor. And then I'd drive down dinner. And then we'd, we'd pass the Tupperware back and forth. So then she'd cook dinner the next week and drive it over oh, to me. That's a great idea. And it was a way for us to be, one, to learn about what are other people feeding their kids. I learned about zoodles. You know, the zucchini noodles. <laughs> I learned about zoodles no. and, and homemade fortune cookies. And she did all sorts of cool things. But it was also a way of how we could also split it up so that she would cook for me on my, my day that I had the most clients. And then I would cook for her when she had a cleaning person come to her home so that her kitchen could stay clean. <laughs> and so it was, you know, again, this idea of how can we be more supportive of this really, um, what can be at times isolating and challenging um, struggle of, of, of not doing it all, but maybe leaning on each other and getting a little bit more flexible in how we do it, but also keeping an eye on what is most important to us. 
um, and not letting that go. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So it's been so good to see you hear about you. I know. I, I, I'm just so, I'm so proud of you. You've done such wonderful things and this podcast is so cool. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. I'm I'm really honored. And I'm so proud of you too. I, um, I remember very fondly, we used to take long runs with each other in Boulder and talk about the stressors of grad school. We had no idea. It was just going to get more stressful. (laughs) Uh, but it's been really fun to read what you've been writing, and I've really related to all of it. So I really encourage our listeners to look up your um, look up your New York Times article. I'll put a, a, a link to it on the website. Look up your Psychology Today blog, which is really fun. It integrates a lot of the research, but also talks about your personal um, life and approach to, to mothering and career. And then we'll be looking for your book at some point coming out. Yeah, well, I'm. I'm actually. It's not going to be coming out very soon, and um, I there's an open invitation for folks who are interested in being interviewed for it. At this oh. point, I'm going to be doing one-on-one interviews with individuals who sort of self-identify as choosing both, and talking with them about, you know, how how they've managed to do it, and what are the struggles, and what are the hacks that they've developed, um, so that the book can be really informative for a really diverse audience. Fantastic. So how can they contact you? What are, what are some of your contacts? So um, they can email me at um, yael at yaelshoenburn.com mm-hmm. <laughs> or um, they can actually just go onto the, my website, which is yaelshoenburn.com and um, put in their contact information through the website. And that's S-C-H-O-N-B-R-U-N. And I'll put a link to that on, um, it'll be there on um, our, our website as well as the link on this um, iTunes as well. So people will get you there. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thank you so much, Al, and have a great rest of your day. And um, we'll, we will be in touch when you get when your book comes out again. So we can do another okay. episode then. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Diana. Take Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.